The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening, and we pray that God's Word will enrich your journey today. Well, it's uh, good to see all of you here today and those of you joining us online. I'm so delighted just to be back with you this weekend. This past week, I was in my hometown, traveled back to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, got to spend some time with my uh, folks. And so, so great to be with mom and dad. My mom's 81 years old, and if you didn't know, she has uh, Parkinson's, but she did not decline since the last time I saw her. So she was, uh, we had a wonderful time. In fact, we went on a little uh, mom-son date. Uh, we went and got some pizza, and uh, she's 81, but boy, she's prideful. And so I uh, said, mom, let me help you out of the car. She said, no. I'm going to get out of the car. And she jumped out of that SUV that I rented, and uh, she went right in. We had pizza together, and it was just a wonderful time. And my dad, he's doing well. He's uh, kind of the caregiver role. They've been married for 52 years. And so I'm so grateful for my parents. I love them uh, deeply, and it was wonderful to be back uh, with, with them. And so I got to tell you, though, when I was back, I had a real scare. I had a real scare. I had landed in Baltimore, uh, and I was driving up to Harrisburg, and I was in the center lane, and there was a big old RV in front of me, and about four or five bicycles strapped onto the back, and I have nothing against RVs. I mean, if you have an RV, that's fine. I just prefer to be in front of you rather than behind you, right? (laughs) And so I decided I'm going to uh, signal, get into the fast lane, and then pass the RV. Well, as I was getting over into the fast lane, a woman in front of me, she was driving this uh, Lexus, and she slammed on her brakes, and she got over into the center lane. And I thought, oh boy. And I saw a bicycle tire coming right at me, and I thought to myself, oh boy. And I swerved, and I don't know, well, I do know how. God protected me. That, that bicycle tire went right past my windshield, and I thought, Oh, God, thank you for protecting me. And I am so grateful for God's protection because we never know uh, how our prayers impact one another. In fact, in first service last week, I had said something at the close of service. I said, pray for me as I pray for you. I'm going back to Pennsylvania. And I believe it's because of the prayers of, of you guys praying and, and, and calling and asking God just to protect and to watch over me. It was, it was a miracle. I'm telling you, it was a miracle. Because I, when I swerved, I swerved. And have you ever swerved on the highway and your wheels kind of go whoop, 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 whoop? Kind of has a whoop, 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 whoop. You know, it had one of those deals. I could have overcorrected, gone into the barrier, or I could have gone into the center lane and just created a major, like, issue, major accident. And I'm so grateful to God. And I just want to testify. I want to bear witness to the fact of what I'm in full agreement with what the psalmist said. David said in Psalm 191 that, that my God, I say this to the Lord, my God is my refuge and my fortress. In him will I trust. Amen? I'm so grateful. And so thank you for your prayers. And you know what I love about Pathways? We are a praying church. You know, prayer, is, prayer changes things. In fact, 
Uh, every weekend after service, you can always come down to the front. There will be people, trusted prayer partners, who would pray for you. And so if you have a need, you can do that. Also, we're a praying church because right now, we are committed to praying for four specific prayer targets. You can find that on our mobile app under events. You can pray with us. And, and if you have a prayer request, let's say it's not a service time during the week, you can always call the church office for prayer, or you can also send an email at info at pathwayschurch.us. Submit your prayer request. We have over 80 prayer partners that will take your requests and lift them up before the throne of God. And if you love to pray or have the gift of intercession, please email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. We would love for you to join that serving team as you pray for the needs of our community. How many believe in the power of prayer? You believe in the power of prayer? We need to be people who seek God's face. We need to seek God's face. We need to seek God's face every single day. We as a nation need to seek God's face. You know the promise from 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and confess, repent of their sin, then I will hear from heaven and I will come and I will heal their land. And we need healing in our nation. We need healing in our world. We can't do this without Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we need to be praying. We need to be seeking the Lord. You know, I love prayer. One of the things I did when I was back in Pennsylvania on Wednesday night, I took a little prayer walk in my neighborhood. And uh, I was walking through the neighborhood and I was passing different homes and I could remember friends, that person lived there. Or, you know, I could, there was a certain smell. It was kind of a hot, hazy week in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And the smells, the familiarity of, of the sidewalks. I mean, my parents have lived in that house since 1977. And uh, uh, I, I was born and raised there. Uh, so that neighborhood is very special to me. But there's one special house that I always try to walk by and pray over in the neighborhood. The address is 510 Ridgeway. Now that house isn't special necessarily because of the address. And it's not special necessarily because of the size of the home or the beauty of the home, although it's a beautiful home. It's special because of the people who lived in that home when I was a little boy. There's a family named the Ringleys. Donnie and Evie Ringley had four children, and Evie Ringley was my babysitter. That home is special to me. In fact, as I was walking by the home, I was praying over the Ringleys, and I was praying. I don't think they live there anymore. I know Dottie went on to be with the Lord, but I was praying for that home, and I was just thanking God, and I was kind of getting emotional. In fact, I, I walked by it and then I circled around and I walked up and I prayed over that home again. Then I had this thought, you know, I better not be like walking too many past, you know, someone's gonna think I'm like gonna rob the home, you know? Like, like, dude, what's your problem, you know? Although I'm not that intimidating yet. I'm not trying to case the joint. So I'm just praying over it. And sometimes on my prayer walks, I know you might think I'm a little weird. I'll just raise my hands and walk through the neighborhood, either my neighborhood or, you know, I just, I believe uh, God hears and answers prayers. I believe you can pray over your neighborhood. You pray over your street. You pray over your neighbors. And so I was praying for the Ringley household. And here's why I was so grateful for God because uh, when I was uh, approximately four years old, it was Evie Ringley who reached out to my mom and invited Pat Demetrician to a church where my parents met Jesus Christ. Um, not only did Jesus save my parents from their sin, uh, Jesus saved my parents' marriage. Uh, 
I don't know if it was not for Evie Ringley and her love and care and seeing my mom hurting and reaching out to her. I'm not sure if I'd be on the stage today. And that's not to say that my family uh, is perfect or has been perfect. We've gone through a lot of struggle and a lot of pain. I know struggle and I know pain. Some of you know my story. Uh, one of the dominant themes of my story is that I never knew my brother, Bill Demetrician, to be sober. Uh, he was my first prayer request. The age of 12, he started using and he battled addiction his entire life. And six years ago, he overdosed in my parents' basement. I know pain, I know struggle. But I also know the grace of God. I also know the protection of God. I also know the faithfulness of God. I also know that because of Evie Ringley and that local church community that loved the demetricians, there's hope and there's a different future. And for my family and my girls in subsequent generations, I believe that God just did a wonderful healing work for Bill and Pat Demetrician and for my family. And I believe... I believe that he can do that for your family. And uh, maybe you're here today and somebody invited you to Pathways Church and I want you to hear me loudly and clearly that God loves you so much. And that you are so valuable to God and although that you might feel that you're far from God or that your life appears to be out of control, I want you to know that God can change you in a moment. He can change the direction of your life. He can set you free. He can bring healing and redemption. And you need a local church family who's going to love you as you find and follow Jesus. And I am confident of this, that Pathways Church is that family for you as you continue to seek Jesus and as we grow in his image and likeness. Amen? Amen. Hey, listen, it's going to be a great weekend. There's uh, about 14 people who are getting baptized today at the end of service. I'm so excited for that. Let's uh, rejoice and celebrate that together. Really excited about that. And uh, all of you showed up at the 10 o'clock, which makes me really excited. 8.30 was sparse, and so we're kind of figuring out new service times. So thanks for being here. We're gonna have a lot of games and food after service. We're gonna celebrate baptisms. If you wanna get baptized today, and you've never been baptized, or you wanna get rebaptized, then you need to leave right now and go talk to somebody out at Connect. Uh, we have uh, clothing for you and towels, and you can be a part of baptism today. So if that's you, in the next uh, few moments, you just kind of listen to the Lord if he's uh, tugging at you your heart. You be obedient and uh, we'll celebrate with you at the end of service. So we've been in this series called Made for Mondays. And you saw that little bumper, that, 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 that video that kind of opened up uh, the series. Really, the whole series is about how our faith informs uh, every part of our life. And so we've been talking and asking this question. What if we could take the most dreaded day of the week, which is a Monday, right? 50% uh, of people uh, show up late to work on Mondays. There's a decrease of productivity, and the average person does not smile until noon on Mondays. <laughs> Some people are going like this to me. I love it. That probably person doesn't smile till 5 p.m. on Monday. No, no, no. <laughs> but what if we could take the most dreaded day of the week and we could be made for mission, made for more, and knowing that God wants 
to use us to set the tone for purpose and impact? What if we were so radical and bold in our faith that we could face Monday with an overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, full of God, and looking at people in situations that we were made for a Monday? I know that sounds so extreme. I get it. But what if we could do that as a group of people? What are some of the things that we would have to get a handle on? Well, as we talked last week, we'd need to make sure that we had a a check when it comes to pride and humility. We'd have to make sure that we were concentrated on that. We'd have to know that we're made for a mission, that God has destiny and purpose locked up inside of our hearts, a plan for our lives. And we'd also need to make sure we grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of how to handle relational conflict. Anybody ever uh, disagreed with you? You ever been in a conflict with somebody? All the hands should go up in the room, right? Some of you are like, yeah, it's happening right now. I get it. Relational conflict is something that we all have been a part of. We know that. And if we're going to be made for Mondays, the subject that I want to share with you for a few minutes today is how do we grow in understanding and becoming better at conflict? In other words, the question is, how can we disagree with someone without drawing blood? How how can we disagree with someone without destroying the other person? Or getting so angry and full of animosity that that bitterness and resentment grows in our hearts and it really poisons us. How, How can we handle relational conflict? And when we are offended, when we are offended, How do we extend forgiveness? Because we know we should forgive, right? We know that's what scripture says. We should forgive. How do we extend forgiveness? Everyone say forgiveness. Okay, that's a key word that we're going to look at today. And then how do we reconcile that relationship? Everybody say reconcile. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness, we're going to talk about reconciliation, and we're going to use the scripture because God knew that we were going to engage in relational conflict. He knew that. He knew it. In fact, if you look at the pages of scripture, there are some people who are so committed to the Lord's ways, and yet they had sharp disagreements, fights, and conflicts. The apostles, the apostles had disagreements. I don't know for you, when I think of the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, any of the apostles, I think they kind of just lived a different life. Like they almost levitated when they were on earth. Like they just kind of floated around and they just had some type of mojo that me and everybody else, we just don't have. But you know what? They're real individuals, just like my little little league baseball coach. Hey, the opponents are just like you. They put their pants on one leg at a time. They're the same. Same with with the Apostle Peter. Paul and the Apostle Barnabas. And so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at a story from Scripture in Acts chapter 15. If you have a Bible and mobile device, go with me. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Barney, yo be. He said, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Now, this is not John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles, or the book of Revelation. It's not the Apostle John. This is, uh, 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 his name is John Mark. He's the cousin of Barnabas, okay? So Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. But Paul, verse 38, did not think it was wise to take him Because John Mark deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now, last week, I showed you a modern-day map of where the missionary journeys took place of Paul and Barnabas. And so you'll see on the screen, uh, you'll, you'll see the Mediterranean rim. If you look at Italy, you make your way around to Syria. Lock eyes on Syria because this is a modern-day map of where Paul and Barnabas, where they traveled on their first missionary journey. The second map that I want to toss up for you is their first missionary journey. It took place in AD 46 to 48. It's a two-year trip covering seven cities, uh, accumulating uh, 14 to 1,600 miles on sandals and ship, okay? And they went through seven cities. Now, last week, I told you that at the end of this trip, they went back through five of the seven cities, okay? They went back through five of the seven cities. When we pick up with the story here in Acts chapter 15, uh, it says, sometime later, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back through again. Now, how much time, we really don't know. The scholars don't tell us. We can't really piece that together chronologically, how much time had passed from the end of the first missionary journey to them circling back again. But here's what we do know. We do know that there was a conflict. There was a fight. There was a disagreement. It was sharp. That's what scripture says. Why? Because Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, and Paul said, no, I, I don't think that's wise. In fact, Paul was saying, it's unwise. Why would we take someone who deserted us the first time around? Like, we, we can't afford to carry dead weight with us, in other words. So we, I don't think we should, and they couldn't work out that conflict such that Paul and Barnabas, two apostles, part company. They part ways. Now, was there a need for forgiveness and reconciliation between Paul and Barnabas? I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that all of us have moments in our lives with people that we interact with and engage with where we need to extend forgiveness or receive forgiveness and have reconciliation. True? True. We do. We do. So we know we should forgive people. And we know that's what Jesus teaches us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll remember the, uh, the famous conversation, the question that Peter, the apostle uh, Peter asked Jesus, said, uh, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Seven times? And Jesus said, oh, Peter, Peter, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you that you need to forgive seven times 70. The literary device is hyperbole there that he's saying, I want to show you that it's not just a number. There's this unlimited amount of forgiveness that you need to extend. Now, not only did Jesus share that in his interpersonal relationship with the disciples, but he taught us the masses, and it's recorded in scripture, the importance of forgiveness. In the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, you'll remember that Jesus talks about the importance of forgiveness. And he says this, he says, ask the Father to forgive you of your sins as you forgive those who sin against you. And not only did Jesus talk about it and teach about it, but Jesus lived forgiveness. Jesus was the most masterful, the most dominant figure of learning and showing us how to forgive. Remember when he was on the cross? Remember when he was dying? 
Gasping for his final breaths, Jesus, what was he doing from the cross? Look at the text. It says this in Luke chapter 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Can you imagine the kind of forgiveness that Jesus was extending. So not only does he teach about forgiveness, Jesus lives forgiveness. And the first point in my message is simply this, that Jesus commands us to forgive. He commands us to forgive. He doesn't say it's optional. He doesn't say, you know, you might want to think about it, call three friends and pray about if you should forgive. Jesus says that we need to forgive. Here are some additional supporting scriptures out of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.11, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, here is a very important thing about forgiveness. Remember, we're going to talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is, is something that you can extend to someone without them even doing anything about it. That, that forgiveness is something that you can graciously release and let go of that person and the offense that they have inflicted upon you. You can give that to somebody regardless of of, of them even knowing or expressing or asking for forgiveness, you can simply give them forgiveness. Okay, so here's the question. Well, how do we do that? The starting point for forgiveness, this is very important. Listen up, friends. The starting point for forgiveness is first focusing on the vertical grace that God has uh, given you by forgiving you of your sins. When you meditate and you begin to say, God, all of the sins that I have committed against you. Listen, we don't deserve God's mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. Bluntly put, we deserve death and hell. It was because God, does, scripture says, God does not repay us as, though, as, as, as we deserve slow to anger, abounding in love. He chooses to forgive us. And when we repent, he reconciles us back to the Father through what Christ has done on the cross. The starting point for us to forgive someone else is simply to reflect and say, God, you have forgiven me. That's why the scriptures I just read from you for Colossians and Ephesians, it talks about forgive as God has forgiven you. So, Here's a good working definition of forgiveness. This is kind of like, this is a, just a great definition. Take, take a screenshot of this, write this down, get the mobile app. This is really good. Forgiveness is giving others what God gave you. Forgiveness is giving others what God gave you. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful that we can give a gift that God has given to us. We can give the gift of forgiveness. Friends, I've said it from the stage many times. Forgiveness is a miracle. To truly forgive and release somebody, that happens through the Holy Spirit, the love of God passing through you when you understand how much God loves you and has forgiven you. 
and you give to others what God has given to you. That's forgiveness. Now, every time that we're offended, every time that we're hurt, there's always a gap, right? There's always a, a, a break, a separation. There's a wound. There's, I just said wound really wrong, didn't I? It sounded weird. Sorry. I said, I don't know how you even said it. Wound, wound. There's a wound. There's a scar. There's a cut. There's a gap, right? Okay, so how do we close the gap of offense. We close the gap of offense with love. And that love is not something that you can generate. That's lo that love flows through you. That, that's where following Jesus and, and the work of God flowing through you, you say, I know that's not me. I can't do that. That person offended me. I, I'm angry. And you, you, you begin to meditate on God's grace toward you and you slowly make steps to say, I'm going to release this person. And you say, well, why is this important? Well, let me show you from Jesus's life why forgiveness is important. Because if we don't forgive, unforgiveness is like poison that will rot your soul. Unforgiveness will flow through your bloodstream and it is cancerous. It is toxic. Unforgiveness left to its own devices will destroy your spiritual life, your connection to God, and your love from people. You're going to become distrustful. You're going to become mean-spirited. You're going to keep ledgers of right and wrong. You're going to become cynical and cold and embittered. Unforgiveness, in other words, will kill you. And you know why forgiveness is so important? Forgiveness is so important. Jesus models it to us. Remember when he was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I believe that Jesus wanted to get every ounce, every shred of any anger or animosity, a spirit of unforgiveness. He wanted to get that off of him. He wanted to release those individuals. I don't remember any of the gospel accounts when Jesus was hanging on the cross. They said, oh, Jesus, forgive us. We made a mistake. Hey, take him down off the cross. Nobody was asking for forgiveness from Jesus. He simply said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That tells me that they don't need to know and they don't even need to ask for forgiveness. It's our job to simply do what Jesus did and he commands us to do to forgive them. Why did Jesus want to do that? I believe because Jesus was on mission to ransom the world back to the Father. And if he was going to go down into the pit of hell and if he was going to battle all of sin and darkness and Satan himself, then he needed to be ready and full of God's spirit so that he could win the victory and secure our freedom and that the Father could bring him back to life so that we could be full of the spirit and do his work. And I got to believe this, that the mission in front of you is greater than the offenses behind you. If it was that important for Jesus Christ, then how much more important it is for you and me to make sure that we can work forgiveness through our hearts. All right. Now, we talked a little bit about forgiveness. Let's talk about reconciliation. Most people struggle with forgiveness. And can I just make a confession here? I struggle with forgiveness and reconciliation. I am, I am far from perfect. I am a messy sinner like you. I want to be very transparent, um, and I want to empathize with you. 
Forgiveness is a lot easier to teach on, and reconciliation is a lot easier to teach on than actually practice, okay? So, um, so be patient with me. I'm a work in progress as well. But there's a difference oftentimes, uh, and this took me a long time to figure out, and I'm still working this through, but biblically speaking, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, and most believers struggle to forgive because they associate forgiveness with reconciliation, and they're different, okay? For reconciliation to take place, the person who has offended you needs to repent. You, you see what I'm saying? They need to repent. So, I've given you a message so far that is pretty, okay, it's reasonable, but I haven't gone there. So let's go there. You ready to go there? Let's go there. I'm gonna give you a couple examples. How do you forgive the unforgivable? How do you forgive somebody who raped you? How do you forgive somebody who discriminated against you because of your gender or your race? How do you forgive your son-in-law who was physically abusive to your daughter? How do you forgive somebody who stole from you and sank that business deal and you put, your, you put a chunk of change into that? How do you forgive someone who, who cheated on you repeatedly over multiple years of marriage? How do, you forgive, how do you forgive a medical professional that made a mistake and cost your son's life? How do you forgive that individual? How do you forgive the unforgivable? What does that look like? That can only come through a measure of God's grace and through a deep work of saying, God, I'm giving this person over. I'm going to release because of all the sins that you have forgiven me. God, help me. Now, here's the thing. Because you forgive them, that does not necess necessitate that you are going to reconcile and come into relationship with them. Reconciliation means right relationship. Okay, so let's say, for example, uh, some person makes a grievous sin against me or my family. That does, I can forgive them, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to reconcile because reconciliation demands that the offender has true repentance. And not just repentance, but there's a rebuilding of trust and there is time and God's healing work of grace. And listen, this is very important. And the person who dictates the terms in which that reconciliation takes place is not the person who offended, but it's the offendee, it's the victim. They need to have time. They need to know that I can trust and God has to bring that together. Now, this doesn't mean that God is automatically not concerned about reconciliation. See, uh, while Jesus commands us to forgive, Jesus, here's the second point, Jesus does not command us to reconcile. He does not. There needs to be true repentance there. However, we can't automatically say to people who've offended us that God doesn't care about reconciliation because he does. Not only did Jesus send, not only did God send Jesus to die for us, but when we repent, we are reconciled back in right relationship to the Father. Does that make sense? Okay, because I don't know if I'm going too you know, theological or what, and I don't want to glaze anybody. Okay, so uh, Matt, how about you stand up? Matt, you stand up real quick. I'm going to give you, I can forgive Matt, but we're not in relationship. 
But if Matt hurt me and Matt comes to me, Matt, how about you walk up on stage real quick? So, he's okay. He can, oh, come on. You don't got to clap for Matt. He's fine. He's a big boy. He's taking 30 steps. We're friends. Oh, what, I got to give you a trophy for walking on stage? No, I'm just, like uh, you like one? Okay, I'm sorry. That wasn't, that wasn't very nice. Now, if Matt says, uh, Adam, Adam, I'm sorry. I hurt you. I hurt you. Forgive me. Forgive me. If that conversation takes place and God's grace and my humility, and if I can forgive, then we have the possibility for reconciliation. Hey, let's go play golf. Okay. That's a lot different than if Matt doesn't know what he did and doesn't acknowledge what he did. I can forgive him, but that doesn't necessarily. I can't say that word, necessitate a relationship. Does that make sense? Okay, that's kind of the illustration of that. Now you can give it up for Matt. Woo! Thank you. Thank you for illustrating that. All right. Okay. So, in a moment, I want to uh, get in and I want to ask some probing questions for you. So I'm preparing you now. God loves reconciliation. And here's the amazing thing. I've seen some of you in our congregation do this in some really profound ways. Not only have you forgiven people, but there's been some healing work and reconciliation. And what we're gonna celebrate, all the people who are getting baptized, they're going to exit and they're gonna get prepare themselves to be baptized because they're letting you know, not only have they received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, they have repented and now they've been reconciled with God. And so they're just making a public proclamation. They're saying, I'm close to God. So if you're getting baptized, I wanna just encourage you if you just head out and get ready, we're gonna baptize you in a few moments. But, but I want to ask all of us a couple questions in just a moment, in just a moment. Because we have to circle back to Paul and Barnabas. Whatever happened to their conflict? Whatever happened to their conflict? I, I don't want to leave you hanging. In my search of scripture, I don't see any clear uh, defining moment in which there was forgiveness and reconciliation with Paul and Barnabas. However, I do see hints, suggestions that would lead me to believe that Paul and Barnabas were okay based on how Paul treated John Mark. There's two references. The first is in Colossians 4. I think it's verse 10. Uh, 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 Paul is writing a Christian brother and he said, hey, um, when, when, when John Mark comes, he's the cousin of Barnabas, make sure you welcome him. You're not going to welcome somebody that you're angry at, okay? You're not going to be hospitable towards somebody that you felt like deserted you and did you wrong. So that's the first suggestion. Now, there's, a, there's even a, a, a deeper and a more clear understanding of how Paul felt about John Mark. If you look at 2 Timothy 4.11, um, uh, uh, Paul says this. He says, hey, why don't you fetch, why don't you go bring me John Mark because he's been helpful to me in my ministry. Those are beautiful, forgiving, that's forgiving, reconciling kind of language. And I got to believe if that's how Paul felt about John Mark, then the same is true of how Paul felt about Barnabas, that, that, that eventually they reconciled and came into renewed relationship and forgiveness was extended. And that's what God did. 
But as much as I'm so thankful for what God did in Paul and Barnabas's life, I'm far more concerned about what he wants to do in your life and in my life. See, this weekend we have an opportunity to release and to extend some forgiveness. So I want to invite all of you, if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads, I want to ask you a series of questions as the band plays over. All of us want us to spend some time. And the first question I want to ask you is, who do you need to forgive? Just list out their name. Bring up their name in your mind. Who do you need to forgive? And then I want to, I want to ask you, as you have that person in mind, I want, I want to ask you specifically, how have they offended you? List that out. Here are some of the offenses that they have done. They hurt me. They said this about me. This happened. Go there. Go there. Second question that I want to ask you is this. Are you ready to forgive that person? Are you truly ready to release that person? One of the things that that I've learned through Laura is that sometimes we're not ready to forgive people because we get something from our unforgiveness. Sometimes we're not ready to forgive because we get a sense of, I'll make them pay. They deserve to know that they hurt me. We know scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but for some reason we think we gotta have to help God out on that. Like if I release them, then, then they'll never know. Or we have some sense of justice or fairness or some type of, we gain something from unforgiveness initially, but trust me, over time, unforgiveness will destroy you. So the question again, are you ready to forgive them? Are you ready really to release them? Release them. Now here's the starting point. List out your offenses and your sins against God. How is he forgiving you? Name that list. Recall it. And get in a place of gratitude to say, God, thank you so much for forgiving me. If you're a believer here today, you just say, God, wow, you've forgiven me of so much. A mountain of debts, sins. Oh God, thank you for forgiving me, forgiving me, cleansing me. You've been faithful and just to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, this is what you've done for me. Oh, God, you've forgiven me. If you're there now in that place and you want to forgive someone, can I just see your hand? Because I, I want to pray for you. Yep, lots of hands going up. Lots of hands going up. Yep, lots of hands going up. Okay, you can put it down. Now, I want you to quietly pray this prayer after I pray it. Heavenly Father, I release, I forgive this individual who wounded me badly. 
You know, you know the hurt and pain. But what I know is how much you have forgiven me. Thank you for Jesus. His blood takes away my sin. I am forgiven. And so now with your help, God, I want to forgive. I want to release. I want that bitterness. I want that anger. I want those memories. I release them. I forgive them in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I pray for all of those individuals who are extending forgiveness, sealing in their hearts. And God, if you would make a way for reconciliation to take place, so be it. I know you delight when enemies are reconciled in right, right relationships. So I pray that of our congregation today in your time with your grace, by your strength. Now, if you're here today and you've never tasted of the forgiveness that I spoke about earlier, how Jesus loves you and how you're so valued and you want to repent, you want to receive that forgiveness and come back into relationship with God. Maybe you knew him in your head, but not in your heart. You, you had religion or ritual, but not true relationship. And you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ today with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just slip up your hand? We want to pray for you. We want to acknowledge you in this moment. Thank you. Thank you. Who else today? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Any other hands? Any other individuals? If you're online today, thank you. If you're online today and you made a decision, you can just type it in the chat. And just reach out to us, reach out to me, call the church office. One of the things I love about Pathways is we never pray alone in a moment like this. So for people who are making decisions as a faith family, can we pray this prayer out loud together? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, for sending Jesus to die for me. I confess, I repent of my sin, and I ask you to come into my life, that I might follow you, be found faithful to your word, a life that you called me to lead. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed with this prayer, shout it. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate individuals today? Come on, let's celebrate that together. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's so